Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to Inside the Firm. This is your co-host, Lance Psycho. I am filling in for Alex as far as the intro goes. Alex conducted a series of interviews at the International Builder Show this week. It's the third week of January in 2020, and he's down there in Las Vegas. Uh, he, he talked to a variety of industry leaders. I hope you guys enjoy all of the interviews. I actually thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, but before we get into those, a few words from our sponsors. So this episode was brought to you by Dell. If you're an Inside the Firm member, and all of you are, uh, you can save up to 45% during Dell's quarterly business sale. Save now on select laptops, desktops, servers, and Dell branded electronics and accessories. Shop now before the sale ends on February 2nd, 2020. Visit dell.com forward slash Inside the Firm to receive your coupon. Or you can call, speak with a small business advisor at one 800 757 8 442 and reference your member ID number 530015704759. Again, that's call 1-800-757-8442 and reference your member ID 530015704749. This episode is also brought to you by arccat.com. Let's say your boss asks you to put together the CAD details for your firm's next project. What's your next step? Is it using basic internet search only to find outdated and incompatible details? Grabbing the details from the last project and hoping they fit in? Well, there's an easier, faster, and less stressful way to get the information you need. That's right, arccat.com. Arccat is the number one most used website for finding building product information and has over 15,000 CAD details based on real manufacturers' products. Use their pro- powerful search engine to find the right files for your project. Best of all, it's free. You don't even have to register. Just go to arccat.com, that's A-R-C-A-T.com, and start building better content today. And without further ado, here's your host, Al Gore. Okay, we're here uh, at the first interview, just got through at the International Builders Show. I'm Alex Gore, I'm here with Pete, from Quake Zone, and Pete, hold up the microphone, basically almost like you're eating it. So like as close as me. Very well. And we're Jason and I were walking around, and uh, we saw they basically built a structure just to give you an idea of it. And typically, how you frame this is a sheathing product that we're talking about. Typically, the sheathers don't listen to you, and they frame however the hell they want to. That's a fact. <laughs> And right on the bottom, he has a filler strip, which is normally how we do it. And we might even do a, a, a four by eight so that it overlaps the next level. Right. But it looks like from First Tech's Quake Zone has made perfectly sized OSB sheathing panels to fit the structure. That's exactly right. What we've done, Al, is we've uh, taken a longer length approach to the wall assembly such that the panel would span from closer. The, the panel would span from uh, the uh, mud or the sill plate up over the joist, up over your bottom plate, 
uh, and up your pre-cuts, 92s, 104s, or 116s, such that the top edge of the panel actually lands halfway up the top plate of the double top. Right. And the reason we do that is that we also make a right length panel for the second floor that ties into that top plate such that you get proper shear transfers between a common framing member. Yep. What this eliminates is the need for any panel blocking here, uh, as oh, well as nice. having to come back and cut filler strips to cover your rim board. And the net effect of all this is that we're able to reduce air infiltration into the home by up to 60%. And this was tested by the NHB's research center. As well, it speeds your construction, it eliminates waste, it eliminates these uh, blocks on the interior walls, which allows you to speed up your other tradesmen, such as electrician, I, plumbers, yeah. etc. Have you had any experience? I think some inspectors, since they're old school, they might say you need blocking at four foot anyways, but has that ever came up and you said, no, we don't need it because we're not basically securing at that point? No, you absolutely do not need it unless you're exceeding 10 feet in height for fire restrictions. Okay. Um, on a four foot blocking, uh, if you had four by eight sheets and you were to turn your panels horizontally as opposed to vertically, which we're, we're uh, suggesting, you would have to block at all panel joints to get a proper nailing edge for shear transfer along that panel joint, right? Right. So you can see if we move on the inside of the structure here. Yep. What we're we're doing, walking in, they basically built a little house here, which is kind of cool. Um, so we're on a platform and they have TJIs above and what is this, is it nine foot? Actually, uh, the lengths on this are, are, are varied based on the wall plate height. So yeah. again, in this example where you've got a raised wood floor with eye joists, it's designed to be a longer length panel to lap over the eye joist all the way down, as I said earlier, to the mud plate. Yep. And span all the way up to the top plate. Uh, this is common framing where you'll see the panels just aren't quite long enough. A 4x8, a 4x9, or a 4x10 don't necessarily reach perfectly, and it creates the need to have to do some interior wall blocking. Yep. That'll slow down your insulation, instula, installation <laughs> as well as you see over here illustrated. Well, electrical too. Electrical. I've been on the job site, Jason has too, but um, I don't know if you ever had a patch, you know, where they mess up or, or you need to put, they have a, a an outlet here, but the water needs to go there or vice oh, yes. versa. There's many, many times. Yep. And going like through, this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. So he's showing a, a plate over a, a plumbing uh PVC. Where they block yep. or cut through the top plate uh, or they'll cut, you know, bottom sections of eye joists and some of the HVAC ductwork and it's just not good structurally for the yep. for the home. But So what would be the process? So let's say a builder um, is, is going to use your, your product and typically they'll have, we'll just say nominal, 9 foot, 10 foot, maybe, let's just keep with those numbers, okay. maybe 8 foot. Yep. They order from you, you and it's already, the math is already there, or do they have to look at the drawings? Because, I mean, it's pretty typical sticks. Well, do you have three typical sizes? Yeah, we do. We have for 8-foot, 9-foot, and 10-foot wall plate heights. Uh, we've designed it initially to work with 11 and 7-8-inch joist steps. Yes. Such that, because that's about 90% of what we see in the Colorado yes. market. So, uh, these panel lengths are... Uh, one ten and seven sixteenths for eight foot plate heights. One twenty two and seven sixteenths for nine foot plate heights, and one thirty four and seven sixteenths uh, for ten foot wall plate heights. And that's again designed to land halfway up the top plate, where you can tie the second. And it's a double down. top plate for yes, people sir. that can't see. Yes, yep. it's a double top. Sorry. 
Yep. Uh, such that you can tie the second floor wall panel in, as I said before, to get proper shear transfer between the two floors. Yep. So the, the main question is, why hasn't this been done before? Or how long have you been doing this? Is it harder to manufacture? What's it like? It just seems so obvious when we walked by. That yeah, we had to stop you and well, start talking. Well, the OSB has uh, manufacturers have traditionally used uh, eight by twenty-four foot press sizes, which didn't lend well to cutting custom lengths because you would always have an offcut or waste from the very onset of your production, right? So why would you make panels that you have to cut and throw away? So we went to a continuous press where we can uh, essentially design the cuts where we want them so it, you have to run it a little bit slower so that costs you production and efficiency uh, as well and we charge a very minimal few pennies a square foot more for the quake zone product versus a four by eight sheet yep however that's more than offset by the elimination of blocking two by four or two by six blocking for your interior walls metal strapping if we move to the outside I can yeah let's do it metal strapping uh, between floors again for proper shear transfer, as you see here. We right. can eliminate that. We can eliminate the need to have to get up on a ladder and cut a filler strip for the second floor rim board. Yep. By using the right length panel. Yep. And he's pointing to vertical stripping in between the floor boxes, attaching the wall, sheathing to each other. No more of that. I've seen that plenty of time. Done it plenty of times. Yeah, it's all about efficiency and speeding up the framer's ability to frame the same home faster by using a panel designed to work with the uh, components in the home. Yep. Again, 11 and 7 eighths is what we've predominantly designed for in the Colorado market, and 8, 9, and 10 foot. So we can mix and match because we've already got the panel. Say you did a 10 foot first floor and a 9 foot second, very common, or 9, 8, for example. We've already got the panel links uh, cut to the proper length such that you can uh, install or mix and match and buy it from your distributor just what you need, even the number of pieces uh, yep. to, to build your home with. And it's a lot faster, a lot less waste, a lot stronger wall assembly, more shear resistant in our high wind zones of Colorado. Do you have information on that for the structural engineers when they are sizing? Because there's a lot of townhomes in Colorado. A lot of these skinny three-story townhomes and right. shear is always an issue. Sure, sure, sure. So is there um, any sort of thing that they can use well, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll use the APA's uh, Engineered Wood Construction Guide. And yeah. I can surely show you that and share that with you. But as far as uh, it's got all the shear values listed yeah. for that. And one interesting thing, in the Colorado market, we predominantly sell a 7 inch thick product. Yep. But if you don't space your studs any further than 16 inch on center, you can use the shear values for 15, 30 seconds, enhancing the overall strength of the wall by using uh, no more than 16 inch on center stud spacing. Gotcha. If you go wider than that, uh, that negates that. Yep. But uh, that gives you a lot stronger wall assembly. Uh, and again, it's gonna hold up better in our high wind zones and, and climate in the Colorado market. Awesome, so we have listeners all over the US and the international, but so you're Canadian based, right? No, I live in Denver, uh, Evergreen actually. Yeah. Uh, so I am Is the company though? Colorado, uh, sorry, uh, Norboard is based in Toronto, yes, sir. Is that where everything shipped from? Uh, this particular product ships from Alberta, uh, okay. Canada, but we have mills in the southeast. We have mills all along uh, uh, Canada as well. We have 13 mills in North America and one in Scotland. Yep. If, if someone from anywhere in the U.S. wanted to look or, or get a hold or buy your product, where's the first place that they should go to start looking for it? Well, I always tell them to start with their existing distributors. Uh, yep. I, I hate to have people... Um, 
have to go to a whole Change. new distributor just to buy our product. Uh, a lot, I mean, we work with the uh, Home Depots. We also have wholesale distribution set up, such as Boise Cascade, for right. example, uh, that can ship to your current um, retail or contractor yard uh, dealers such that they can get it delivered to your job sites. So the first place is ask your normal chain, hey, yep. can I get this? Can you get this for me? Right. And that's the way to start if looking. If you can't find it there, uh, like I say, we, we, uh, we have dealers listed on our website as well as um, you can look on our website and contact the actual uh, field marketing manager and he can direct you to a wholesaler that can get the product to the distri distributor or dealer of your choice. Sorry. Awesome. Awesome. So any last parting words? Pete? Well, uh, as I said earlier, it's all about efficiency and being able to build a better home more quickly and reducing waste. That's what Quake Zone is all about. Uh, I think once a builder uh, uses this product, I think our success rate is about 99%. They don't go back to 4 by 8 9 or 10 So yeah. it's a wonderful uh, opportunity to speed up production, uh, have a cleaner look to the home, have a stronger home, frame faster, for essentially the same net cost right. to the builder. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you showing us around and telling us about your product. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Okay, I am here at Solar Innovations with Eric, and what kind of made us stop is, one, we might be doing a greenhouse, pool house kind of uh, building here pretty soon, but I've always thought the greenhouses are cool. I've always thought sunrooms are cool, and you guys have a really nice modern look. Um, which is which is awesome. You do also do some more decorate. This is more, I, I don't want to say Victorian style. Um, I don't know if you have a name for the different styles that you have. Yeah, and it's but do you have different product lines, different styles, or how does that work? Absolutely. When we started in the business more than 20 years ago now, it was a very Victorian style market where we really looked into the conservatories as well as the greenhouses. Now, more in recent years, you get more of a contemporary look with this display that we're standing in right now. You have a very good look at what it can look like contemporary at places and then also a traditional feel at others. Um, the sight lines certainly are two inches and can go deeper depending on engineering. And we can also Wait, put like, What do you mean by the thickness? Uh, yep, yep. The, the depth of what you're seeing for the profile, you're gonna have two inch sight lines. What's the deepest depth you've seen, especially with some snow loads? Uh, uh, some of the deepest that we've gone are two by 12. Um, we wow. certainly can do better. And then we also have inserts that we can put in for, you know, for more stringent engineering needs. But do you typically stay with the same width of two inches? We try to stay with the two inch. We do have a two and a half inch system that we use predominantly more for skylights because it has a condensation gutter track that'll catch on the slope glazing. Yep. So let's say an architect is drawing up a, a greenhouse. What's the step with working with, with you guys? What would they need to do? Yeah, what's great with working with us is we actually are a design team as well. So if you have like even just a rough idea of design development, even schematic where, hey, we want to attach in a greenhouse, we can certainly work with that. Uh, we provide with our in-house engineering, you know, even before the project starts, try to give a little bit of an idea of what you want to try to make it look like for the best bang for your dollar, as well as what we can do for operable ridge vents, windows, and we really help every step along the way. Yep. So I was asking Lauren before we got to, to you, um, you also provide structural stamps as needed, and I thought the price was reasonable. It was $1,200 for a regular stamp, flat stamp, and 1800 for a raised stamp. So the structural engineering can all go through you guys too, which is helpful, streamlined. We won't have to get our structural engineer involved. Um, so that sounds like a, a great benefit also. 
Yeah, it really is. I'm The only exception to that is if you get to these oversized units and there's steel included, we can recommend where the steel is going to attach to our layout, but we don't actually provide the engineering on that portion. Gotcha. However, if it's a system that you know is only with our aluminum structure, then yep, uh, we certainly can provide that. Good caveat. Can you talk about the windows? Is there a different sort of glazing that people want or that you provide uh, on the vertical planes versus the, the ceiling? Um, or is it all the same? It's a great question. The low E coatings, based on what you're trying to grow or if the room's going to be more for people or plants, varies. Um, there's different coatings. This one we're standing in right now has a low E272, which is provided by Cardinal. And really, the only difference between the one-inch IGU and the vertical walls versus the one-inch IGU, IGU being an insulated glazing unit and the sloped glazing is actually a PVB inner layer on the sloped glass. That way, if you have a branch or something that breaks and crashes into the glass, It'll spider web, but it won't actually fall down. The glass that we use on the vertical sides, also for a safety standpoint, is tempered. So, heaven forbid, if a glass would break, it would shatter much like a windshield into a thousand little pieces with non-sharp edges. Yep. Um, what do you see people typically using this for? Is it for greenhouses, pool houses, just... Uh Sunrooms, is that the typical, or are you seeing anything different? Um, a lot of what we see is certainly in those different aspects. Certainly when we do the Philadelphia Flower Show, we run into a lot of horticologists that want a greenhouse that's working. So while we have a beautiful structure, they're predominantly worried about making sure that they can grow their start their seedlings early or protect their orchids you know, during the harsh seasons and make sure that they still bloom from year to year. Um, we also have a large market for especially uh, European taste where they want a conservatory. They truly want a sitting room that feels more Victorian as we're standing in here. And then lastly, you have the sunrooms where they want a sunroom that's like off the back of their house attached, just an area to come and enjoy the sunlight. Awesome. Um, any parting words? Any way, what way should people get a hold of, of your company or you if you want them to, uh, to, to start the process if they're thinking about doing something like this? Certainly to check out our website, solarinnovations.com. There's a lot of information just as an early go, going start and then as well as a contact page to show. Or you can always call us at 570-915-1500. That'll go to an operator and she'll direct you accordingly. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, guys. Jason and I just got out of the uh, monthly economic dashboard. That actually was, wasn't what it was called. It was uh, the growth and trend, basically, of, of housing. I don't For remember. the year 2020. For 2020, what the predictions are going to be, uh, what's going to happen. And it was three economists, um, and they basically gave a rundown. I have a, a lot to go over, um, but I want to know, what was your biggest takeaway from that, Jason? Well... The thing that really stood out to me the most was a little bit that we sort of talked about at the end of the Q&A. It wasn't really a major part of the presentation. was just sort of the main effect of regulatory uh, burden in the construction business and how that equates to housing uh, costs. And, uh, you know, there's uh, obviously tons of information about there that we spent most of the time going over as far as uh, unemployment rates, growth rates, uh, inflation. Uh, shortage of labor, all that kind of stuff that really directly involves labor or uh, uh, directly relates to the cost of housing and its prediction of growth. But yeah. then, you know, there's sort of this underlying factor of like what it all has to go through, which is permitting and regulation. So. Yep. Do you remember the numbers for it? Did you write so, it? Yeah. So uh, the, they were saying for new builds, uh, single family homes, about 24% of the uh, price of a house is from regulatory 
uh, constraints or burdens, burdens if you will. And some it. of them, you know, necessary. You know, it's never going right. to go to zero. That would be, you know, chaos and, and whatnot. Um, but that's fairly high. And then they said for multifamily, it's even higher at about 32%. So right. for apartments and condos and probably even some townhomes, you're really looking at a very, you know, high cost of what you're living in going towards just the process of getting it built. Yep. And I thought this was, that was the second biggest point that hit me. The biggest point that he said was the hindrance to growth. So um, the number that they said was the average between the last recession and then the Great Recession, growth was at about 3.5%. Past the Great Recession, it was about 2, 2.2%, right? And the thing is that, that uh, the exponential value of that over time is actually big. It doesn't sound like one percent one and a half percent is big but it is actually pretty big because when you talk about compounding year over year eventually that becomes huge and so when you're talking about a couple generations down the line if you're constantly at a three and a half percent instead of a two percent or two and a half percent you know future generations are going to be far wealthier in that three and up bracket than the two and up bracket yep and the hindrance to uh to growth were two things productivity growth is low and then labor growth is low uh, the productivity growth, that's where I immediately thought about what you brought up was, hey, we're planning something a multifamily and it takes two years to design and then a year to go in. The numbers are low. What we need, they basically starts per year of all housing is about what we have right now is 9.2, uh, 920,000. We need at least 1.1 to 1.4. So that's a difference of needing 300 to 500,000 more homes per year. Um, so that's the productivity there is a big deal. And then lack of trained workforce in that productivity. And then second, going into that is the shortest of labor growth of low immigration and then low birth rates. So that's where the, the only, well, I mean, there was a lot of good things about this, but basically what they're saying is that they see a steady, but slower growth rate for the foreseeable future, like five years. Um, and then before I kind of give my rundown of all the notes I have, do you have another item you want to bring well, up? Well, I was just going to, to add in to uh, sort of the, the you were talking about the productivity and, and, and the time to get things through. But then also uh, they were also talking about the shortage of available uh, loans for builders and with increased times to get things through the city, you know, you have to hold that land for that much longer. You have to hold those uh, costs for developing something that much longer and you know it's kind of an increased cost there but lending is only so available yep um some of the numbers that they gave was they uh they see a growth in 2020 i think it was about 4.8 percent growth in the building market um a two percent economic growth uh a three percent rents growth um they uh, materials uh, will basically be at the cost of inflation, which is about 2%. Uh, they had some risks. The odds of the recession greatly went down from last year. And this is what I wanted to ask because they said it was as high as 40%. And I feel like it drastically went down. They said between 10 to 15, but they really underplayed any chances of a recession, would you say? Yes. It, it really was just like, well, it's we're kind of in a clear zone is what I was hearing from them. You yep. know, it's like it could still happen, 
but I think their concern for it was, you know, there's much less risk, and I think they were just less worried about it, even if it did come. Yep, because the yield curve isn't inverting anymore. The phase one of the China deals went through. Phase two is a bigger deal. Um, but basically, and then the interest rates. So the interest rates on money, not on a mortgage, they think will stay in that the last kind of year, which was between 3% and one4 And they think it's just going to go up some, come down some, and just kind of be within that range. They were saying 2% was a pretty safe bet for inflation for the next several years. Yep. So that's where they said mortgages for the next five years around 4%. Right now it's a little bit lower. They didn't say anything about going much higher than that. No, they were talking about it incrementally increasing, but not really any, you know, they're not predicting any like major up. Yep. Uh, you know, upshifts yep. in that. And and that's where I think they see the, the steady five-year period where we have we have such a devi- uh, deficit of, of housing and housing is a big sector and there's a lot of jobs out there, but the, the growth rate of the produ- productivity and the labor isn't going anywhere. So it's not going to skyrocket and crash. It's just going to s- steadily, steadily go through. Um, Another interesting note that they made is, you know, obviously they outlined this need for new housing, well, for housing in general, and the the existing home market is fairly low, like just existing houses are not that available. So they're predicting more people to be pushed towards the new build sector. And, you know, there's obviously, we talked about the 1.1 million needed, about 920,000 are predicted for 2020. Uh, but then they were also talking about this sort of mismatch between where people are moving to and growing and where houses are being built. And so, you know, you can it's, it's easy to look at what housing is needed on a you know scale of the country. But then in some places it's needed like way more because it's harder to build where a lot of people are moving. They talked a lot about Portland and Seattle and California where a lot of people are moving, but it's hard to build there. And so there's not as much building happening there. So it's yeah. like one of those things where it's like there's extra need in these hot spots in the country and housing's being provided, but they're not always totally matched. Yep. And I, they ri- ripped on California for a while. They did. There was a lot of California they, they went hard rolling. To the, hard to the paint <laughs> because California is trying to basically make as many houses as the the U.S. makes. Yeah. Um, but yet they That's still, what they say they want to do. They want to do. Yet they still have the regulations. They still have this solar panel thing coming up. And again, we're not saying anything's are bad. These are just economists who are saying they conflict with each other. Yeah. Um, it, it's, just, it's just not possible to up regulation, up the burden of that, and then create enough housing stock at a lower price that people can afford. They're just conflicting. Yeah, um, and, and they were talking about you know rent control. They're like, there's very few things that all economists can agree on, but they say 99% say that on the larger picture, uh, rent control it works for the people that are in the system, but the larger goal is to increase supply, and it doesn't increase supply. Yeah, at all. At all. At all. And so they're saying, you know, it's kind of like, a, sure, it works in this sort of small ecosystem but like for, the for larger you personally picture, for you the, personally someone might say i love affordable or um i love rent control because my rent is you know control you know like staying where it is and i can live and so there might be a lot of people out there that are for it but in the larger picture uh when you're looking years down the road it's it's not it's not helping and and i had no idea that he basically said flat out all economists agree on this 
it's almost a matter yeah. of, of science and fact. And yeah. it, it, it makes sense. We're not economists, but um, I, I get their argument for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and speaking of apartments, they also this was also quite fascinating. They said of the multifamily that's being built in the more apartment style, they were saying that right now about 93% of it is for rent. And, yeah, uh, only seven. and only eight seven. or seven, yeah, seven percent is condo. Where historically it was about an eighty twenty split. Yes, and so we've seen that gone way down. And they ca- kind of casually mentioned litigation, but that was like the solid reason for that change is that it's uh, condos are so highly litigated. Yep, the labor shortage numbers right now are three hundred to four hundred k. They're going to stop getting worse, but they're not going to get any better. They're just the past three, four, five years, they were just getting worse and worse and worse. And now they're catching up to a, to a normal. But also keep in mind, this guy said the same thing last year and he admitted that as well. He, he thought, you know, for 2019, it was going to plateau and it wasn't going to get any worse, maybe not better. Right. Right. So, um, I, I think it was all good. It it all made sense. I, I think the, the big keys are productivity growth. Um, and, and I think it comes down to training and then what kind of regulations you're going to. Mm-hmm. And then labor growth. Uh, if immigration can change, you're not going to change birth rates quickly because if you no. do, it's still 20 years down the road. Right. And that's all leading to high demand, but not, not the highest output. So pretty steady for the foreseeable future. Um, unless, uh, obviously, things could go crazy. Um, but it seemed, it seemed positive. It seemed, uh, you know, there's difficult challenges to, yep. to, to go through. Um, but pretty steady. Yeah, it was it was very yeah, there was no doomsday talk during that no. that whole time. It was just kind of like, yeah, we're going to see a lot of what we've seen in the past year, maybe on a slightly lesser scale, but you know, it's just still going, you know, still developments will be made and then we'll just see where efficiencies pop out if it's in building production or building technologies or yep, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and a lot of the growth they saw was in the uh, south and the west. The hottest two markets are Denver and Houston. Uh, uh Dallas and Dallas. Houston. You're right. Yep. Yes, thank you. Dallas and Houston. Um and that has to go with I think they have a low burden and uh um, even Houston some of the zoning regulations are are not that stringent at all. It's still yeah. a great city. Um so if you're looking into those areas, those are the, the hot growth areas. They said, California, yeah. I love this joke. He goes, yeah, California will build houses. They'll just be in Boise and Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> that was, he, he was pretty quick on that one. Yeah. Um, so that's the economic forecast for 2020. Uh, and Jason and I will be reporting on other press conferences that we go to uh, and, and sharing the news that we get with you guys. Thanks, so. I'm here with Matt from Brilliant. And Matt, the first question is, what is Brilliant? When did it get started? And how did it get started? And what's your role here, if you can remember all of those? Sure, absolutely. So Brilliant is a in-wall smart home control system. Uh, We're really a a one of a kind on the market today because we make it incredibly affordable for builders and also homeowners to have an integrated, unified smart home system baked into the walls of their home. So this means really easy access to things like your cameras, your lights, uh, your music, uh, door locks. We make all those things accessible via a touchscreen in your wall and uh, all you have to do is uh, simply pop out a light switch and drop in our uh, brilliant control system. We also just announced a smart dimmer switch as part of the system so now there's a a great and easy way to add affordable smart lighting throughout the home. So it's all about making all these great smart home products more accessible and user friendly to everybody in the home instead of locking them up on a phone and not everybody has their phone on them. You don't always have the apps on your phone. Let's make all this great technology accessible for 
everybody in the home and, and really unify the experience. So that's what Brilliant is. I am uh, Matt Brown, uh, the head of partner and channel marketing here at Brilliant, and you know, very excited to be sharing the news about what we're doing. And um, I think another exciting thing is, you know, we're here at the Builder Show, so you know, builders are starting to really try and figure out how do we wrap our heads around, you know, uh, offering the right smart home experience and. Typically, it's been an option and not necessarily right. a standard. And so, you know, by offering an affordable control system, um, our, our controls are available in four models, so the touchscreens, a single gang to a four gang. Um, so you can actually start to, you know, integrate a home and offer a true smart home for as little as uh, $299. Uh, and then you can add some of the components like a ring doorbell, maybe a smart thermostat, um, and really offer, you know, a great starter package, you know, for under $1,000. Dollars uh, and really offer a, a truly integrated smart home, which has never been uh, uh, available at a price point that we're able to offer today. Right. So is that two ninety nine just a a starter fee, and then you start picking and choosing? Is that how it works? Exactly. Uh, and so you know, uh, another great announcement that we're actually just released uh, at the show is um, uh, our first national distributor. So uh, Wave Electronics is going to be offering builders smart home packages. So we view Brilliant really as the you know the hub uh, and you know command central. For your smart home. Uh, so what that means is, um, you know, it's always better when you've got a smart thermostat, a, a doorbell, a smart lock, and then we tie that that whole experience together for the the homeowner uh, to make it really easy to access um, those experiences directly on your wall or via a, a single app. So Brilliant also offers an Android and iOS app uh, that unifies the smart home experience. So you don't have to deal with multiple apps or just one app you use to control your entire home remotely. Awesome. Can you walk us through and kind of tell us some of the products that you have here? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're here in our booth uh, and what you're uh, what you're looking at just to paint the picture. So we've got several of our brilliant controls. Again, we offer them in single gang models up to four gang models. Uh, so this is one of our three switch control models. It has a touch screen as well as dimming sliders. Uh, so these are, uh, you know, non-mechanical way to uh, to control lighting. So I just slide my finger up and down to control the lighting load. And just so I can explain to the audience, basically think about an iPhone screen but connected to probably five inches by six inches. So there's the iPhone screen on the left and then three just grooves, notches that your finger fits in. I'm doing it right now and I'm turning up the lighting on this booth. I'm, what am I, I am messing with the hue and then I am, is this? You're, you're controlling Sonos volume. So this, ah. this is a really unique feature. You can map these uh, sliders uh, to control different experiences in the home, not just lights. You can control shades, you can control music. So a really powerful way to, to offer simple one-touch uh, access to a variety of smart home experiences. And then uh, what we're viewing right now, uh, someone just rang the, the ring doorbell and uh, we actually see that live video feed pop up on the touch screen on every control in the house. So now if you don't have your phone on you or people who don't have the Ring app, they can actually answer the door from anywhere in the home from our uh, touchscreen. And if you have a smart lock uh, from that same interface, you can just hit unlock and let that person in if it's a, someone, a family member or a package. Uh, so it's just another great way that we're adding a lot of value to the Ring experience. Yep. Uh, you know, other things to showcase, you know, music, uh, Sonos is our partner. Uh, so uh, with a couple of taps, you can see all of the playlists that are available uh, via Pandora, Spotify, just load them up into my Sonos. All of those become accessible to everybody in the home. Um, a few other nice features, there's actually a motion sensor 
and a camera built into every Brilliant control. Uh, so that unlocks a, a couple of great experiences. One is uh, motion activated lighting. So now when someone enters a room, we can automatically turn on the lights for you, uh, depending on what time of day it is. Uh, and when it senses that there's no one in the room anymore, we can actually turn the lights off. So there's a lot of energy efficiency that you can get from installing a smart home and lighting system like Brilliant. And then the, uh, the integrated camera as well. So this unlocks the ability to actually see what's going on in another room. So if you have one of these, maybe in a child's bedroom, you can use it as a nanny cam. Um, you can also broadcast audio announcements throughout the home, like call the family down for dinner if you have a multi-story home. Um, one way that I actually like to use it, my wife is often at home, uh, but doesn't pick up her phone. So I actually pull out the Brilliant app and then send an audio announcement to the whole home. Honey, uh, please pick up your phone. I'm trying to reach you. Or she can come to the Brilliant control and I can interact with her that way. So That happens. Uh, same thing with my wife. Yep. Multiple times. <laughs> exactly right. And then our smart dimmer switch, um, you know, these are available uh, to builders uh, as low as uh, $55 uh, when you buy them in bulk. Uh, but again, that, that simple groove and then capacitive touch so you can just tap the switch anywhere on the faceplate to turn lights on and off. Uh, and there's also an integrated motion sensor there as well. So um, another really great uh, way that I use the smart lighting at home is uh, I've got a few of these installed uh, you know, in my bedroom to bathroom. So when I crawl out of bed at night uh, to go to the bathroom, it actually turns on and lights a pathway for me at a, at a very dim level uh, to get to the bathroom without tripping in the dark and without blinding yourself by flipping on the bathroom light. So a lot of really interesting experiences that you can unlock with motion and then with cam camera and intercom and really just unify the whole home experience. Yep. If someone has, let's say they bought a Nest um, or they have an Alexa, mm -hmm. does this work together? Does it not work together? Does it all have to be your stuff? How does that? Yeah, great question. Uh, so uh, every control uh, has integrated Alexa uh, built in and it operates like an Echo Show. So you actually get visual responses on our screen, which is great. So when you ask for the weather, you're not just getting an auditory response, you're actually seeing a weather forecast displayed on the screen. So it's nice to have both auditory uh, and visual feedback as part of the experience. Uh, and we also do support uh, Google Home uh, and HomeKit uh, support is coming in a couple of months. Uh, so those are all experiences that we integrate and support. Uh, and I think the way we view smart home is it really needs to be an open ecosystem. You know, we want to allow home builders as well as, you know, the home buyers themselves to select the right products in all of these categories, whether it's thermostat, whether it's locks, whether it's um, music, um, cameras. You know, we want to, you know, make sure that we're unifying the experience, but allowing everyone to pick and choose the products that make the most sense for them. And I think this is where we see smart home going uh, and uh, are really, you know, fortunate to be working with some of the great partners that you see here like Sonos, Ring, and, and yep. others. Um, to wrap it up, Matt, any parting uh, things you want to share? And then also, if a home builder or an architect uh, wants to start this process, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know what, what we're seeing here is uh, is helping builders you know figure out the right standard packages uh, to start installing. You know, oftentimes it's a few brilliant controls, um, get smart lighting in a few rooms with our dimmer switches, and then make sure there's a great you know security experience with Ring and a smart door lock, uh, and then a smart thermostat. There's a lot of energy savings that they get from lighting, from climate, uh, and then the benefit of having you know better security throughout the home. Um, so. 
you know, really just uh, you know, trying to help builders understand and, and figure out how to make their homes inherently smart from the get-go. and can, It can now be done incredibly affordably. Uh, and so there's really no reason now you know, to you know, make smart home an option. Like it is, it is a standard and Brilliant is, is here to help builders you know, kind of tie it all together. Uh, in terms of you know, getting started, uh, there's a few great ways to do it. One is uh, just uh, visit brilliant.tech. Uh, we've got a, a tab on our site uh, for builders to learn more and get in touch with us. Uh, you can do that by sending us a note to pros at brilliant.tech. Uh, or another great way is um, through your integrator or installer. If you currently work with one, uh, they often have a way to um, you know, kind of you know, uh, get to distribution and, and help you pick the right ecosystem. Or uh, you can also talk to Wave Electronics now, uh, and they offer smart home packages featuring Brilliant and other popular products like Ring and Sonos and uh, uh, Schlage and Honeywell and, and some of our other great partners. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. It was good meeting you. Yeah, you as well. Appreciate the time, guys. Yep. So I'm here at Simpson Strong Tie uh, at the International Building Show with David. And if you know anything about Simpson, you think about connections, you think about shear, you think about transferring forces, you think about strong ties, all that stuff, but you don't think about Revit. So David, why am I here at Simpson talking about Revit? So Simpson has in its mission statement to create safer, stronger structures through its products. And most recently, we changed that to have solutions to provide safer, stronger structures. And so with those solutions in mind, one thing we did was we really started to figure out what were the builder's needs, where's the building industry heading, and you know where does that really fit with us in the software world. So Revit is, we see it as the future of BIM, it's the future of modeling, it's the future of residential construction. Um, it's really starting to take off. Yeah. So how how did Simpson get into Revit? Because they're not, you know, they're not a software company. Yeah. Simpson acquired a company called CG Visions, uh, which was it's been around since about 2000. And CG Visions really focused on production home builders that were trying to do BIM modeling and option management specifically. So these are portfolio builders that have, you know, maybe 13 structural options, but that could create a hundred and something iterations of different possible outcomes. Okay, cool. So show me what do you have up here? So I'm, I, I, we have a laptop and Revit's on there. It looks like a typical project where, uh, what, at a site plan? View or yeah, so we're looking at a first floor view. This this kind of looks like uh, you know we call it the village, but it's just it's one house that we're looking at, blown up. So if you've ever seen Iron Man, you know that scene where he takes that orb and he kind of explodes it and he's inside of it. Yep. Think of that as your house. That's what we're kind of looking at. This thing's all apart, and then he goes through the selection process of taking out what he doesn't want, throws it all back into one, and that's what we end up with. You know, through a selection process of getting a lot-specific drawing, um, and more specifically with Revit, we can get a lot-specific set of takeoff information. Gotcha. So is this something that home builders send to you guys? Is this something that architects or home builders should be using themselves? Um, so yeah, we work, that's a great question. We work a lot with um, the builders themselves, so the production home builders, the top you know, 200 plus, really, if, if they work off of a portfolio, it works for them. We work with architecture firms and engineering firms that also do this. So really, it's, it's those ones that are trying to manage structural options, including, you know, uh, we're, we're starting to get into more of the multifamily or the garden style apartment complexes. You know, a couple builders that do that. Uh, this really does work in that facility as well. It doesn't have to work on that X, Y axis anymore. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, can you, is there a demo you want to show us? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of the things that 
I just talk about in general is how all the different ways you can option. You can basically move it from one place to another. That's the most simple version of it. I'm going to turn this on. It looks like Michigan Control. So he's on a new tab. It's called Lot Spec. So this is probably an add-on. This, this is an add-on, yep. yep. It's an add-on for Revit. We also have the same thing I'm showing you in AutoCAD. Yep. Um, and then what this allows basically is for all these different rules that would exist to, you know, it looks like a missile control here that... Yeah, it, so, so what I'm seeing, can you zoom in on mm -hmm. that? What I assume is... A, the a, core of the house that doesn't yep. change. So there's a floor plan that I'm looking at, and there's a bunch of red lines that are coming out. Um, basically, like if you were sending missiles in random directions if you're getting an attack. Mm -hmm. And if we follow one of those lines, where is one of those lines pointing to? Yeah, so if you look at this line, you know, it has a rule that's associated to it. And this is going back to another XY axis over here. So in this case, we're looking at the exterior options of, um, it looks like the slab and the walls. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, we have that way of optioning. We have object option, which is kind of an on-off optioning tool. We have the ability to move it on an X, Y, or Z axis. You can change the properties or the type, you know. So if you have a window, instead of having to go through and manually swap them out, you just put a rule in place and say, you know, if elevation B changes to have grid style, whatever. Yep. Uh, and add this kind of molly and add this kind of trim. All, all the information that we can do with it um, is also just automated and that's yeah. that's the key uh, I say it's because we're lazy but I, I guess yeah. laziness sometimes creates innovation and um, this this is really taking a master set which would be you know 150 pages uh, we've reduced that down so it takes that manual labor out of creating a master set and then the job start which I'll run one here it does take about 30 seconds to a couple minutes we're on a demo laptop so it's not a strong yeah. So tell them what you're picking. Sure. So so what we're looking at on the screen right now is a bunch of sales options. Um, so in this case, elevation A, B, C. Um, we have four different structural options, um, some floor plan options. So an example of a structural option would be, oh, you have a garage on the left side, or you have a tandem garage, or a three. It could be all these sorts of different options. And he had about four or five categories that he could pick. So. We've dealt with this on a smaller, on our, our firm, where we'll have one house and we might have five or six options. But once you start to cross-pollinate that you have elevation A with garage side uh, side entry with a six-bedroom floor plan, a mudroom, and a, you know, a, a finished-out basement, that's a lot that grows exponentially yeah. if you try to have those in different files. So, and this is a, we have this option wizard that kind of shows, you know, with these three options, the and then we'll say nine other structural options that exist, we have 60 possible outcomes with just this small file. Right. So, when you're talking about a sales team, you can go to the sales team and say, you know, there's 130 possible outcomes, sell one of those you don't end up with as many non-standard options and custom options that right. really creep into the scope of work and the cost for a builder and really in turn the homeowner in that case. Gotcha. Okay, so you're gonna generate one of these. We're gonna generate a lot specific drawing. And so I'm just gonna select just at random, you know, a couple different ones or I could preload a selection of, we'll say elevation A, we're gonna add a extension off the fifth bedroom and we're also gonna add a fireplace in this. Um, 
And as I solve this project, I can choose to solve you know, all the different views that exist. Or if maybe I was just trying to solve and look at the 3D geometry to make sure it fits in, I could, I could do just that part of it. So, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to, just for the sake of time, solve um, just the first floor view and the 3D view. And what this is doing, it's reading all those rules that were in place all that missile command rule, all yeah. the, you know, change the types, change the properties, change the, turn it on or off. And then all those sales options that said, you know, it's, it's Boolean logic, if then statements, yep. if this, then that. Um, and as we go through that, uh, this can also be done on a server base. So we have a, another tool that goes with us called dispatch. And I can queue up the same process from someone that doesn't even have Revit or AutoCAD on the computer. And it just sits there and as a, uh, a sales team or an estimating team, that they don't have to ping the architecture group and say, hey, we need construction documents for the Jamestown with these selected options. Yep. They can do it themselves and have it emailed to them. That's great. Uh, while this is processing, uh, so I have to say this is rather forward looking. And, and I'm impressed because it's, it's outside your normal area of scope and it's really looking towards the future. So. For your for Simpson to be doing something like this is uh, amazing, really. Well, Simpson, I mean, it's been around for 60 years, and innovation is one of the key components of who Simpson is. Yeah. Um, we feel that as at Simpson, if if we're not looking forward, we're going to get left in the dust. Right. Our builders are going to also get left in the dust. We we preach all the time on the technology side how how just non-digital the construction industry still is. We're I think there's a McKenzie report that we are below uh, mining, but we are above farming. So uh, we've we've got that. Yeah, we've got that on us. Um, so you know, really getting this into a digital age. We know what Autodesk is doing with BIM 360, and you know, Revit. I tell people all the time is not the future. It's yep. really kind of now just the the vehicle to get you to the future products of you know the the plan grid and really getting digital on site um yep. and that's that's a big part of it I, I was talking to a colleague um and a lot of architects know the power of revit that you're making a digital twin of the real life thing it, it is you know when you look at here yes there's a scale but it's actually the 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 size of the house in the computer and the knowledge that you can bring that from scheduling to quantities to all these other things it's it, and it's not the fault of the construction industry, but they're not taking advantage of it. And this colleague was, was at a different builder show, and they said, well, wouldn't you like to have a digital twin model where every quantity is there? They're like, yeah, that exists. Like, yeah, that's existed for years. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, and we've, I mean, it's little things. When you move a builder from 2D to 3D, it's little things like, oh, the stairs don't fit. Right. I, know, I know the field has been telling me that the stairs don't fit, but I just don't believe it because the architecture makes it fit. Yeah. Or the roof pitches, or you know, yep. all these different things that you can kind of fake in the two D environment. What what we like to do, and, and maybe you you've heard, but um, we do a three D view of the foundation because the foundation. Once you get the foundation, you start to build on top of it, and, and the pieces kind of come together like a puzzle. But sometimes when you have lots that are weird and there's different heights of it, the moment you put a three D image on there, rather than just looking at a floor plan with height elevations, they'll go back to that floor plan, but they'll see it in concept yeah. and it'll work a lot quicker. Yeah, so so where do we feel like this is heading now? I mean, we have the ability to work in like a LOD 300, you know, really focus on 
everything from you know the walls, the electrical. We we're starting to head into the mechanical side of things um, with the BIM modeling, and it really works. You know now in conjunction with the the trust plants, and if they're able to kick over a IFC file back in, yeah. we can really start to collaborate this. And even back into that that lost spec village where it showed all those different parts and pieces. Think of a builder now being able to pull in the HVAC and the trusts and all the information that they know exists in 30, you know, 51 seconds, I think that solve was. And are you saying it would get to the point where you could pick those options and the HVAC could update itself based yeah. off of? Yep. 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 Exactly. That's amazing. So right now it's generated. I'm looking at a 3D view of a house. It has the levels out there. So this is the house from what you generated. This is those options put together. Correct. Yeah. And you know, if you go in this first floor view, some of the other things we, we have the ability, if, if I would have solved all these, is, you know, we would have all these exterior dimensions on here, all of the walls, all of the tags, anything that's associated to this is going to come in because we're really utilizing the BIM side of, of Revit. And when we talk about option management in Revit, for us, it's it's the eye that matters. It's the, it's the information part of BIM that we have to option out. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, any other parting things you want to leave us with? Uh, anything you want to tell our audience about? And, and um, how, how could they go to maybe learn more about this? Yeah, so they could actually go out to our website. Um, if you go to strongtie.com and you, could, you can search or navigate, um, the actual link to get to, to LotSpec, you can download a 30-day trial in either AutoCAD or Revit. I think we have versions from 2019 to 2020. Okay. Um, we have some case studies out there if you kind of wanted to understand it more. And you can always email buildersolutions at strongtie.com, and we could be happy to set up a demo for you. Cool. Awesome. Thanks a lot, David. It was great seeing this. Yeah, I appreciate it. So we're just back for a quick bonus because you were telling me, David, about what's on the screen that they're presenting to the right. Yeah, so that's our cloud-based estimating tool called Pipeline. And really, there's three models. It's estimating, costing, and purchasing. And we, we feel like this is another BIM tool that can harness the data that we produced out of Revit. Um, we call them key measures, but it's just these takeoff quantities that can then be produced into dynamic assembly. Um, so imagine you know having a simpler BIM model where we don't put in there that it's a specific window manufacturer in the model. Um, which would have a higher LOD, but that way we can have a more generic BIM model that can be more efficient, quicker, and as it passes through pipeline, all of that skew and quantity data really applies to it there, where then it can facilitate to its back office system or accounting or purchasing system. Gotcha. Um, and then associated with that, we also have a sales tool that's on my left here. That's where I was going. It's like before we leave, <laughs> yeah. maybe there's something One on more the TV. left screen. Yeah, that's called Pathway. It's our newest yeah. product, and Pathway has a sales selection process that harnesses the same data. So we're not doing any more upload, download of information. It's just a new user interface that allows for the sales team to quickly walk through a selection process. As it moves into pipeline, it'll reconcile you know, the information that already existed, or you can import quantities back from that BIM model right. to say, hey, let's make sure that we have the exact accurate takeoff we want. Right, so someone in the sales office could say, they have this lot, they're having the den that turns into a master bedroom, um, they picked all these options, and then it all cycles through through the whole suite of different software solutions. That you yeah, have. it's and it's the one thing that we really try to do at Simpson is not require all of those to stack up. 
you know, we want to be able to integrate lot spec if you need to on your architecture side and pipeline and pathway if you need to for your purchasing side. Because that can also use a plan swift or, you know, other on-screen takeoff right. tools to facilitate that same dynamic right. assembly. So you're part of the ecosystem, not isolated. Exactly. And it's, yep. Yep. Best way to put it. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. So we're here with Bob. Bob's been on the podcast, I don't know, at least two times. Yeah, maybe, two, maybe three. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so we're at uh, IBS. I didn't even know you were coming until like a day or two ago. Did you even know you were coming until the day or two, two No, ago? I knew I was coming. I just I wasn't expecting you guys to be here, yeah. uh, mainly because it's a residential show. But then I pinged Lance yep. last night. Uh, we got into a fun Facebook rant. Good. And um, Probably about politics. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, politics and Monica Lewinsky and oh, many other things. Um, but, you know, we, got it, we started talking about some random things. And I said, oh, by the way, you know... Um, what does your contractor base look like uh, for inside the firm? You guys really should be at IBS. And he just responded. He said, Al's there. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. And then you I texted me and yeah. So um, and I would say this is great because we we haven't come to IBS ever before in our 10 years. Tragic name. Yeah, I know. We've been making jokes about it. It's a shitty situation. Well, OK, let's let's take a step backwards from that. And let's talk about let's talk about A-Rod as the opening speaker. Well, do you know who is going to be before? It's oh. going to be Magic Johnson. It was going to be Magic Johnson. And I was so stoked because that's when I was a kid playing basketball, that's who I would be. Yeah, like you know, instead of Jordan, I'd say Magic Johnson on people. Well, but I'm looking at it with you know, you saw the housing starts. I'm sure. The starts. The this, housing starts this year. I mean, yeah. they're the highest they've ever been. It's like they're on steroids. Yeah. So who better than <laughs> A Rod? Yes. He's crushing it. He is he's, crushing he's it. He's crushing it. How, so we left before that. And, and Jason and I will talk about the intro well, a little bit later and all that. But you were there for A-Rod. Um, I actually missed it. I was on the way in. Oh, but, you're just making <clears> jokes. <laughs> but, hey, I, you know, I have no interest in, I have no interest in seeing A-Rod. I'm a Sox fan. So. Yeah. yeah. How many times have you been here before? Uh, yeah, I've been here about five, six times. Okay. What, what do you think is value about it? Why, did you, why do you come and why did you come this time? Well, I mean, the first time I came, I mean, you know my background. I started life as a contractor, then worked with manufacturers. I mean, the first time I came as a contractor years yep. ago to learn about new products and to, to find out what's going on, stay current in the industry. Um, then I came as an exhibitor uh, with GAF when I worked for yes. them. Yep. And um, then, you know, basically as an exhibitor, uh, you know, for software and service. Um, and now I walk around to, to talk to the manufacturers because, well, uh, I'm trying to get in front of them with some new solutions to help them sell their products and integrate better. Um, because libraries aren't cutting it anymore. Um, you know, you need a better solution. So, um, you know, I, I've been an independent and I'll probably always be an yes. independent to some degree. But um, I was offered a great position as a director of business development to build an AEC market for a company that has historically been uh, industrial marketing. So, you know, they had been working with Parker Hannafin and Baldor and NKK switches. So when you're making products, so it's like the micro design. If you want to build a product and just like you, just like you model a building in BIM, yeah. you're modeling um, a uh, product, whether it's a circuit board or a pump. Yep. You know, you're building all of the parts from other parts. You're building your product from other parts. Yes. And then your product might end up going into a bigger product. It's this whole, you know, circle of life, I guess. Right. Of, of PLM, product life cycle. 
And and, and and that's what you're doing here. You're you're talking about that, and you you have a solution for that. I do. Um, you know, we have a you know, uh, um, Cadena's Part Solutions. Um, what what we're doing is instead of building in one platform like Revit, you right. know, you build your content in Revit, and then all the Revit users can use it, and that's great. But Revit is popular in commercial construction. Yes. But it hasn't made the same impact in residential. And you're probably seeing that. I mean, you guys are a Revit shop. Right. But isn't that a competitive advantage? Yes, yes. Because, because everyone else is using kind of other pieces of software that are not as capable. And Exactly. And they're still using AutoCAD, which is crazy to me, but that's their own pickle, whatever they want to do. Exactly. People evolve at their own rate. Yep. And um, because of that, we've got a, we run a CAD engine in Germany that uh, exports to 150 different file formats. And it all starts from the geometry that we build in our own native software. But platform. I have to ask you an honest question because I know you know a lot about Revit. So you know the pitfalls if you yes. start from something else and you go to, I'll pick on Revit City for right now. Yep. And it was a solid work model and it comes in and you can't even change the color of it. Right. That, you know, let alone anything else. Right. So it's kind of useful for half a second and then it's not useful anymore. Well, but then we have to we have to start asking the question of whether we're whether we're building BIM or we're visualizing, right? Because if we're building BIM, it could be blocks and bricks, and it will fit the needs of BIM. But BIM, as we know it, has evolved to include visualization. Um, <clears throat> the workaround for that now, the, our solution does not work for every single product, right? And what we're not trying to do is reinvent the wheel and reinvent how geometry is built. What we're doing is um, we're offering a solution to take your, if you have Revit files, we can start with those and re reverse engineer them into our system so that they can be exported out to all the other file formats. Right. Step becomes the interchange for that. Yep. Um, now the pitfalls and the one of the classic beliefs is that if it's not modeled in Revit, it's going to, you know, cause divorce. It's just going to be junk. It's going to be yeah. junk and it's not true. Um, I see more and more social media advertising coming direct from Autodesk saying, build your models in Inventor and ex export them out as Revit files. They've got a, an entire marketing strategy around that. That tells me that Autodesk has embraced external file formats outside of Revit. And, and I think you're true because we were at, I think you were there at Autodesk U, yep. not last year, but the year before. And yep. they were all talking about this integration, the Fusion 360, where it goes from Inventor to SolidWorks. Yeah, they're any CAD platform. Yep, and then it's translating into milling, to 3D printing, all that stuff. So maybe what I was basically saying it's still true, but it was more true back in the day. Right. And it's now becoming more of a, a shareable yeah, and ecosystem. Honestly, it's more of a perception. There's a perception that it will cause problems with your model. It will, you know, it will corrupt it. It will cause you to get a divorce and kill your cat. All of these things don't happen. It's just an excuse <laughs> to kill your cat. Exactly. You really want I, to. I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Um, but that's, you know, the... the the CAD engine is sort of the end of the line. What we're really focused on is B2B, um, B2B marketing improvement. So focus on your own website. As a manufacturer, focus on your own website. I mean, the AIA proved it in a study that showed that 85% of manufacturers want to get their product data from the manufacturer's website. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, this is really where you should be focusing your efforts is enhancing the digital experience on your own site. Right. So we build a configurator tool, a, vi a 3D visualizer, and a CAD engine all hooked together so that you can configure a, com a complete part parametrically. Right. Visualize it on screen to make sure it's what you want and then export it out to whatever file format you need, whether it's Inventor, uh, SolidWorks, because a lot of these products and a lot of these projects, you know, while at the end of the day, the whole project is done in Revit, there are components like panelization. Revit falls apart when you try to panelize yes. anything. Yes. Um, so a lot of the panelization is actually being done in Inventor and then being imported in as a, either an IFC or a, a step file, something that it can translate to. Now you can export directly from Inventor as an RFA file. But the reality is that when you look at that RFA file, inside it is a direct shape model, which is no different than what we're doing. So we're just using a different platform to do it. Right. A direct shape is just a fancy way of saying <clears throat> a fixed solid. Yep. And it's a, you know, it's, it, it does nothing, you know, it does nothing to hurt your model. Um, all it does is give you a better option for your own website and gives you more flexibility with the content you offer. I want to go on a tangent and then circle back. And sure. the tangent is the websites because you are correct where uh, I want Jason, we're talking about some product, I'll tell him or he'll know to go to that website, manufacturer, find their specs, but it's normally a maze. And this is why it's a tangent because I don't know if it applies directly to you, but have you, have you, do you ever follow college football? A little bit. Okay. If you ever go to like Kansas State or North Dakota State's football webpage, the same, I swear to God, the same company makes it. It looks up, one's green, one's purple, one's red if you're Ohio State, but it has the same format. I'm sure some company got together and be like, we make these for everyone, we'll customize it, but it's within the system. It's very logical when I go to other teams that it's like roster, schedule, it's the four basic things, it's really clear. I wonder if manufacturers need something like that, where one company says, we're gonna, you can customize it a little bit, or maybe greatly, but we're always gonna have this and, it, and that's why I asked you, like, is, is this something that you're pursuing, someone's pursuing? Because industrial marketing's been doing this for 20 years. It's been, you know, we've had, uh, we've got like a, a thousand manufacturers in industrials that all have more or less the same looking and, and feeling um, product page experience. Right. So as you go in, you understand what you where need to, to do. Yep. Uh, or you know where you need to go, what you need to do, and it's mind mapping. It's it's just it's mental you know muscle memory. So you know you, you can do it in your sleep. Um, you know bringing that environment into um, the construction world will certainly cut down the amount of time it takes for uh, anybody in your firm to be able to find the products that they're looking for. Right. Um, but you know a lot of that comes down to ID, IT departments wanting to have control over how this is set up and web formats changing on this and that. So what we do is we build iframes that you can syndicate out anywhere you want. The cool thing is that you can syndicate further than just your own website and um, you know any any like side sites you have. Explain an iframe. Um, okay, well an iframe basically is a piece of, of programming code that um, allows you to embed like a YouTube video uh, the same way. It's no different. When you, when you get in, quote, embed code somewhere, that's an iframe. Yep. So you can just find a piece of real estate on your website and, you're, and drop the iframe there. And then all of a sudden, you've got this whole user experience built in. 
Yep. That's, it's as simple as that. And that's, that's the elegance of it is that IT doesn't have to do a lot because we're not trying to bust budgets to do this. We're trying to make it simple, cost effective, and easy to use. Gotcha. So to circle back on the wagons, what is an ideal customer for you? Maybe one that you, you don't have. And what is the benefits that you bring wrapping it up in kind of a story? Well, I mean, a, a customer that is looking to enhance their digital experience, somebody who wants to put a little sizzle on their website, um, and also at the same time, I mean, it's got to be B2B, because that's really what these tools are about. Um, the high resolution, photo realistic perfection um, that you see on, on like, uh, Geldwen's got one, right. and GAF's got one, that can show you exactly what all what shingles will look like on your house. Um, that's great, but for I want to know. B2C. Right, and that's good for B2C. What we're doing is kind of like B2B2C, where we're helping manufacturers help their contractors get in front of owners with better tools. So when they can walk into, when, when they can walk onto uh, a customer's job site and with an iPad and be able to configure the exact product and, uh, and then be able to visualize it and throw it up in AR uh, right in front of them, that's a powerful tool. Yeah. And, that's what we're, and that's what we're offering. It's been done in industrial. Just as we learned, just architecture and engineering learned from aerospace 15 years ago, we should take the same lesson again in presentation on websites. Because if you go to Parker Hannafin, Eaton, Emerson, uh, NKK, Samtech, all, all of these industrial manufacturers, um, you're going to see their presentation to help OEM sales um, is tremendous. Now, architecture is kind of the same thing as OEM sales in that you're set, like a, a manufacturer is trying to get in front of an architect to influence the sale that a contractor is going to make. Because yeah. at the end of the day, how much did you, how much did your firm buy in products last year? Uh, no, no, and, and architecture side. Yep, yeah, not the building. Oh, zero point a printer, maybe. You get where I'm going with yeah. this. <laughs> the point is that um, while architects influence a sale, at the end of the day, it's the contractor that makes the purchase yeah. and has arguably equal or more influence than right. the architect because I can break a spec. If I can come in four weeks early, 4% less, I just broke your spec. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It happens all the time. Yeah. So, um, Anything, anything we missed that you want to cover, and then what do you want to leave people with to maybe look into how to find what you're talking about, how to contact or connect? Um, well, I mean, you know, for for architects, um, you know, the real and we get we have a variety of listeners. Oh, oh so. I know. Well, I mean, I was going to kind of go through you know, architects. I could see one thing, contractors another. I mean, with with architects, you know, really, um, you know, um, expect more from the manufacturers. You know, you're influencing the sale and you're you're picking their products. Um, you know, you, they should be helping you do that. Yeah. They should be giving you the best tools possible to make your job easier. For contractors, um, if manufacturers don't have these tools that help you put submittal packages together in seconds and you've got to you've got to sit around and and you know, go you know, cull through documents for an hour versus eight, nine seconds, tell the manufacturers, hey, I really need a set of tools that are gonna help me sell. Something like this would do it. 
Um, you know, owners, hey, um, you know, if you're looking for better tools, let people know. But, um, you know, uh, know that Revit is not the only tool out there. And um, in residential space especially, there's a ton of tools out there. What we're doing is catering to all of them, not just one. Cool, cool. And where should they go to look this up? Uh, you can go to partsolutions.com. Um, you know, since we're not a library, we're not like a site aggregator. Right. Um, but what we do have is 96 different portals. Like we're baked into uh, Inventor, we're baked into Fusion, we're baked into SolidWorks um, to get all of these parts. But um, at the same time, if, if you want to find it, you can go to partcommunity.com and you'll be able to see all of the manufacturers that we've got out there. Some content is, is kind of like we're, we're putting it out there to wet their whistle since we're new to the AEC market and it's, it's my job to build this market. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to give people the best experience and um, feedback. We'd love feedback. Any information that would help us steer our ship into the direction that you as an architect or you as a manufacturer or you as a contractor, how can we help you? Because we want to be the best solutions provider for you and build the best websites for the manufacturers so that everybody does their job more effectively. Awesome. Thanks a lot. You got it. Thanks, Al.